2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. I'll begin actually with verse 8 so you can get just the brief context and the flow of the sentence because it is picking up in the middle of a sentence. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to, immortality to light through the gospel. So let's stop there as we hear the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your perfect word. It's inspired. It's infallible. It is life-giving. It's powerful. And we pray that it would powerfully uh, work in our lives in our hearts and minds today, may we receive it humbly and with faith and obedience in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Hayel lives in the Middle East among the Druze people. And it is a religious sect, about a million and a half people uh, from several countries in the Middle East. But in a recent interview with the Voice of the Martyrs radio, uh, Hayel said the following. He said, I, I read a lot of religious books, obviously. I read the Quran. I read a bit of Druze religion as well. I read the Torah. And then I say, I must read the Bible as well. And when I read it, I straight away, I find myself there. This is the real God. This is the Lord. I couldn't leave the Bible alone until every day I read it in my life. I practiced it as well, as much as I can. He said, everybody know that Christian people are very good people. They're very nice people. They're very helpful people. They have sympathy. They do all good things. It didn't come from nothing. Obviously, this must come from their religion. So I was curious to know what they are reading there. Now, why this, is this people like that? When I start reading and then I know what happened. Myself, I changed. Because the Bible really can change anybody. Everybody listen now. If he read the Bible, he can change. Even if you have a lot of problem or whatever, God will be with him. That's the power of the gospel uh, in one Middle Eastern man's life who had never really heard of Christ, but he saw Christ in Christians, and then he said he had to find out what was going on with them. But he knew also that he couldn't keep his newfound faith to himself, and, and in spite of the threat of persecution, he began telling others about Jesus Christ and the Bible. And so ultimately he was... He was persecuted. He was kicked out of his home. He was ostracized. And, uh, but he regarded that as a sacrifice that was very little in comparison to knowing Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, as I read in verse 8 a moment ago, that do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, but share with me in the sufferings 
for the gospel. So like Paul and Timothy, uh, Hiel was more than willing to suffer for the gospel. Why? Because it had, he had come to see what it was. How, how powerful it was in his own life. How wonderful it was. And how good it was. He understood that the gospel is the good news of amazing grace. The, the, the grace of God that saves us and calls us and gives us eternal life. Immortality even. And he was so happy he wanted others to know. He didn't care about the consequences. And so, uh, in short, I want to say today that the gospel is worth suffering for. The gospel is worth suffering for. So much so that Paul could write in Philippians chapter 3. He said, I count all things lost for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. So what Paul is doing here now in verses 9 and 10, he gives us an overview of the gospel that he preached. You remember that this is the very last letter that Paul wrote before he died. And so he gives us a recap of the gospel. It hasn't changed. He hasn't changed anything. And, uh, and, and, and of course, Paul had already communicated the gospel to Timothy. Timothy knew the gospel. But he needed to hear it again. You know the gospel, probably, but you need to hear it again as well. Um, Isn't it an interesting thing that we can hear the gospel over and over, but how easily we can forget it? We can forget it. We can neglect to, 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 to hold on to its truths. And there's always more that we can learn uh, about this gospel. So Paul... Uh, wants us to refocus our minds to make sure at the outset of this letter that we understand the gospel. So two points today. And the first one we'll look at is in verse 9. And that is the fact that salvation is the work of God. Are you saved? People used to ask that question a lot more than they do today. You know, uh, just, you know, a Christian might, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, you might uh, be approached by someone on the street. Brother, are you saved? Well, what, what does it mean to be saved? What is salvation? Uh, the, the word essentially comes from uh, you know, a, a, a general term, meaning rescue from danger and being taken to a place of safety. Rescue from danger and taken to a place of safety. And there's all kinds of rescues that happen, right? We hear, we've heard in the news um, many kinds of rescues. Perhaps a child has fallen into a well, and uh, there's great concern and there's great effort, and the child is rescued. And then we think of coal miners. There have been many times when coal mines have collapsed, and there's great effort made to try to rescue those miners who are underground, and there's of course, those who are lost at sea. We could go on and on with it, but every time someone is rescued, everyone is excited. They rejoice uh, that someone has been delivered from danger, even death. Well, in the Bible, salvation, you see, is a rescue from the dangers of sin, of death, and of eternal punishment. And God, so when God saves us, he rescues from that, us from that, and he brings us to a place of safety, to eternal safety in Christ and in heaven forever. 
So the Bible uh, says salvation is a rescue operation. And the first thing Paul wants us to know about salvation here in verse 9 is that God does the saving. Okay? Uh, we, we need to be sure about this point. He saved us, Paul writes. Uh, by nature, we're in danger. We're held captive to sin. We're slaves to sin. We're unable to bring ourselves out of a state of sin or the danger that we're in. We cannot save ourselves. That's the point that we need to get. And that's why he says God saved us. And God called us not according to our works. So right at the beginning, he wants to rule out our own efforts in this matter. You know how often Paul repeats this very point in all his letters that he writes in the Bible. I remember in a previous church that I pastored, there was a deacon in, in our church and and, and he was concerned about a point. He says, you know, that he couldn't find a verse in the Bible that had literally where it says we're saved by faith alone. He just, that troubled him. He, it made him question uh, the teaching of faith alone. I said, well, there may not be a verse that just spells it outright that. But whenever the Bible says that we're saved apart from works, apart from the keeping of the law, or without our effort... What does that mean? It's ruling out something, and it's leaving us with faith alone. Uh, and God makes that clear in many, many places. Uh, ruling out human effort. Ephesians 2.8, by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. So we know that means we're saved by God's grace through faith alone. And Paul says... That which was given to us in Christ Jesus. So salvation is a gift. It's a gift. And what do you do to obtain a gift? Uh, you, you simply receive it. right? And if you try to pay for a gift, that's an insult to the person who gave you the gift. And, uh, and, and so faith is the means by which we receive God's gift of salvation. Have you received that gift? Or are you still thinking that you must do something? To earn it. You can't. Uh, you can only receive it. And you receive it by receiving Jesus Christ and him alone. So what are you trusting in to get to heaven when you die? Your answer should be Jesus Christ and him alone. Nothing else. Someone said that salvation is a radical word. You know, you don't need saving if you're in pretty good shape. All you need is a little help. Uh, but you need saving, you see, when you're perishing and you are helpless to save yourself. You need saving when you've gone under for the third time and you have no strength left and you're going to drown. You need saving when you are in deep trouble. Well, every personal testimony of conversion to Jesus that I've ever heard uh, has something of this in it, that I had to be humbled. I had to be brought low. I had to be brought so low that I saw that I was a sinner in great danger of going to hell and that I had to feel that I needed Christ. Because by nature, we think we don't really need the Lord. That's why we're not turning to him. So if you come to such a place in your own life where you cry out to Jesus Christ and say, Woe is me, I am a sinner, I am under condemnation, I am perishing 
Jesus, save me or I die. You know, a person is not going to come to Jesus Christ until they believe that they are lost in sin and in danger of the wrath of God. So we see it's God who does the saving. God saves us. Uh, There are a number of aspects to this. And one thing Paul says that he calls us um, with a holy calling. He saves us by calling us to Jesus Christ. And the first thing we understand about that is that unless God calls us by the Holy Spirit, we will never come to Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus said in John 6, 44. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then in John 6, 65, he said, therefore, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. So this, this calling, it's a necessary thing. It, it's, it's a powerful thing. It's, it's an effectual thing. And until God calls us by the Spirit, um, we will not come. Uh, I, myself, I know from personal experience, this is true. Uh, I was bent on going my own way. I did not want to come to Jesus. Uh, and by nature, none of us wants to surrender uh, the control of our lives to the Lord. But when God calls us by his spirit, we surrender. And this is a holy calling. It, it unites us to Jesus Christ. And therefore, by that, uh, by that uniting, we come into contact with him who is holy. He declares us righteous. And then he begins to work on us to make us holy. So God saved us. God called us, not according to our works, He saved us, Paul said, according to his own purpose and grace. It was God's plan. It was God's purpose to save you. Uh, It wasn't your plan, was it? My plan was to go on living my own life, to do my own thing, to go my own way. But God's plan was to save me. And so it's a sovereign plan uh, and purpose. It's an eternal plan and, and purpose. And, and it's by grace. Uh, uh, this, and the choice and, and plan to save was, as Paul said, it was given to us in Christ before time began. So the source of your salvation and my salvation lies outside of time in the eternal counsels of God. And of course, it was in Christ Jesus. And that means that, that he was eternally appointed to be uh, the Savior And when God chose us, it says in Ephesians 1, he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. So God chose us by grace, freely, in Christ, because there's no salvation and no grace that comes apart from Christ. And some people say, well, if you're chosen, you're going to be saved. But yes, if you're chosen, you're going to be saved in Christ and unto Christ. There's no other name by which we must be saved. No one comes to the Father Except through him. And you say, well, what's the point of all this? And maybe you already know everything I've just talked about. Why does it matter that God saved us and chose us before time and calls us by his spirit? What Paul's doing, he's reminding us that our salvation is not of ourselves. If it was of ourselves, and even to a very small degree... Maybe we just contribute one one hundredth of a percent uh, to our salvation. That would mean it would be subject to being lost by us because we are 
uh, we are weak. We, we, we cannot achieve perfection. But because God saves us and it's the eternal purpose to save us and because he's unchangeable, then our salvation is unchangeable. It is secure in Christ. Uh, Numbers 23.19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? You see, God has promised that if you believe in Jesus, if you receive him, you will be saved. He will not change his mind about that. He will make it good. Uh, Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. I am the Lord, I do not change, God says. If I promise to save you, I will save you. You will not be consumed. So since God has saved us, since he doesn't change, we can be sure he'll keep us to the end. He'll protect us. He will uh, provide for all our needs. And even if we have to suffer, we know uh, that we're in the palm of his hands and that we're safe and secure uh, in those hands. And we can serve him without fear, with boldness. We can dedicate our lives to him and, and, and not worry about uh, the suffering that we may have to endure this is the gospel, you see, that inspired and motivated the Apostle Paul. And it's this gospel that not only saves us, you see, but it ought to motivate us. It ought to give us the confidence that we need now to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. There is no greater purpose on earth, you know, than to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. That is your calling. That is your purpose to be his witness to a lost and dying world. And he's given you the security in this gospel so that you wouldn't have to worry about whether you're saved or lost. I'm saved in Jesus. I'm confident I'll be his representative no matter what. But secondly, the second point is that we learn about salvation in verse 10 now is that salvation was revealed by the appearing of Jesus Christ. In verse 10, he says, uh, this salvation has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So God planned our salvation in eternity. It was predicted. It was foreshadowed in the Old Covenant. But it was actually revealed, fully revealed, by the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ appeared, then salvation came to its full light. So uh, Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God himself, God the Son, uh, he in time became man. We know that was through the miraculous uh, uh, conception and, and, and virgin birth uh, through God's chosen vessel, his mother Mary, his human mother Mary. And sometimes when the Bible speaks of Christ appearing, it's talking about his second coming. But, but here he's talking about the first coming of Christ to save us from our sins. And that Greek word appearing is it's epiphania. And we get the word epiphany from that. But the, but the fact that he appeared, you see, um, implies that he existed before, that he is divine. And so we, we can... Uh, we can reason from that to see that Jesus is fully divine, but, but it also means he's fully human because he was born and he also died. He was fully divine and fully human. There's a 17th century Scottish theologian named Patrick Fairbairn. 
And he notes that Christ appearing here must be understood not of the incarnation only, but of the incarnate Son in his entire mission and work on earth. So when Paul says it's, you know, by his appearing, they were saved that he's talking about the whole, uh, the whole thing, the whole of Jesus' life. And, um, now, Hebrews 9.26 says, He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's why Jesus appeared. Uh, that's why he came. Uh, and this involved a twofold act, according to Paul in verse 10 of our text. A negative and a positive side. On the one hand, he abolished death. He destroys death. And on the other, he brings life and immortality to light. So what about the abolishing death part? Of course, when we say Jesus abolished death, it doesn't mean that nobody dies because Christians still die. Uh, Physical death is still a reality. Uh, But really the word abolish here, it means probably better translated that it was put out of commission. It was rendered rendered ineffective. It was defeated. And so uh, for sin to be abolished, I mean for death to be abolished, sin had to be abolished because the wages of sin is death. And so death came through one man's sin, Adam, who was our representative, the head of the human race. And then death was defeated by one man's death, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, the representative head of his people. Uh, But Christ abolished death not for himself because he's the eternal son of God. He cannot die. And so he doesn't need to do this, but he becomes man in order to die so that death would be defeated for us and so that we might live. And that leads to the second part of what he did by his appearing. He brought life and immortality to light. Life. He brought life, regeneration, new life, new birth to the soul. And and then he brings immortality. Immortality is the eternal aspect of that life that we have been given and so he brings them to light that is he illumines them he 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 makes uh his uh truth known where as in the old covenant these things were actually taught but they were not taught so clearly and even though they were taught uh those who heard them didn't fully comprehend them we take nicodemus for example he was a teacher in israel perhaps the teacher in Israel at that time. And so Jesus comes and talks to him about the new birth. And clearly, he doesn't understand it. So Jesus illumines, he brings to light this new, what this new life, this new birth is all about. He enlightened him. Has Christ enlightened your soul? Has he brought that light of the truth of the gospel into your mind? Well, immortality is something that really God alone possesses in his nature. In 1 Timothy 1.17, he's called the king eternal, immortal, invisible. And that word immortality has to do with incorruptibility, perpetuity. There's no beginning and no end to the one who is truly immortal. Immortality was a concept, too, the Greeks had uh, in their philosophy 
uh, refer to the endless existence of the soul. I, I think I remember watching, uh, you know, the old, the movie uh, Gladiator, and when finally the main character dies, you know, he kind of goes off into the land of shadows. It's this kind of vague and hazy existence. But you know, immortality, according to the Bible, is much better than that. It's not just, uh, you know, unending existence in the land of shadows. It is the eternal existence of both body and soul in the bright and glorious presence of our Lord. That is something to look forward to. And, and Paul concludes verse 10 by saying that life and immortality are brought to light through the gospel. We, you know, the gospel is just a word we throw out there, but the gospel is what we've just summar, what Paul has just summarized in verses 9 and 10. It's a message. It's, it's good news. It's something that we need to understand, receive, believe, and then proclaim. And as long as that gospel is proclaimed, then life and immortality will continue to be brought to light by the Lord. So if you've believed the gospel, then you have received the benefits of an indestructible soul and one day an incorruptible glorified body. And these are certain things that have been promised. Speaking of these things, uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 12, Therefore, since we have such hope, since we have such confidence in what God has done for us, we use great boldness of speech. You see, it's the person who is not very confident, who's not very sure of salvation or sure of God's being with them uh, as they bear witness, that person who, who doesn't have the assurance and the hope is not going to be bold. So the more that's why assurance of salvation and strengthening of that assurance is so important to your service uh, of Christ. Um, Dr. Fairbairn said, everything depends on the sincere belief and faithful proclamation of the gospel. Everything. In this world, the outcome of the world, the outcome of your life, the outcome of your family, of your future, of the world's future, depends on the sincere belief and faithful proclamation of the gospel. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's true? If that's true, then, then what are we doing with our lives if we're not believing and proclaiming that gospel? This gospel is so great, so amazing, so wonderful, so powerful, uh, that it's worth living for and it's worth suffering and dying for if need be. You know, death is all around us. We know that one day we are going to die. But if we die, we're going to be with the Lord forever. But a lot of people are dying and going to a Christless eternity. Every day, people are entering eternity without the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We know what so many don't know. Are we willing to give hope to someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ by just speaking the simple gospel and, and, and saying a word or two for the Lord? Remember the, little, the, the Middle Eastern man named Hiel uh, that I mentioned. He saw the good example, first of all, of Christians he knew. You and I need to be a good example of, to others. We need to be those who who do have compassion, who, who do have sympathy for others as he saw in the Christians that he knew. 
And he, he saw that in the Bible there was good news and he found it for himself and he started immediately to tell others. I wonder what you can do to tell others, to bring that message to other people. There's so many things that you and I can do. Perhaps you could donate uh, to the work of the Gideons or, or other Bible uh, you know, organizations that disseminate the scriptures around the world. Uh, you could do what I do from time to time. Because I have tracks, Bible tracks, gospel tracks in my car. And whenever I get out of my car in a parking lot, I stick one in the door of the car next to me. You never know. My Hebrew professor who was from Vietnam, he was saved because he found a tract on the book of Ecclesiastes, of all things, in, the, in a bathroom in Vietnam. And he got on a boat with his family and he was able to escape Vietnam he got saved, he went into the ministry, and he taught me Hebrew in seminary. He was one of the most godly, amazing men I know. So don't underestimate the value of just putting a track somewhere where someone might find it. That's easy to do. Um, perhaps you could find a way simply to show kindness to the unbelievers that God puts in your path. It's easy to get put out and frustrated, especially with people who... Um, perhaps are, uh, you know, hard, uh, hard to get along with or hard to, uh, to deal with because they have different views than we do. But can you show love and kind of that will disarm a person? You say, well, I, you believe totally opposite what I believe. Why are you helping me? Well, you have an opportunity to tell them. And, of course, always invite someone to church with you. They may not come, but they'll think about it, perhaps. And maybe they will come one day. Uh, if you're on social media, just post a verse about the gospel, you know, from time to time. And, and, and certainly there are a lot of things that we could do. Think about what you could do to get the gospel out in some way. Um, what will you do and when will you start? I would suggest that you start this week. Uh, if today's the day of salvation, then today's the day that you and I need to... Uh, Proclaim that salvation. So here's the thing. Uh, he saved us. Okay, He saved us. And one day we're going to be with Him forever. But we're not there yet. So He saved us uh, and abolished death for us. And He brought life and immortality to light in Christ to us. We need to get the word out. This is, this is the message. Uh, it, it hasn't changed for Paul. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. For us, it's the message that people need today. It is the sincere receiving and believing and proclamation of the gospel that's everything to our world and to our culture. Let's pray together.